This is the Illuminate Podcast, a Sandy Boy production. Each week on the Illuminate Podcast, the hosts will bring you insightful conversations and stories of people who are illuminating their own lives through their business, work, community, family, and world. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Illuminate Podcast. This is one of your hosts, Kristen Srewer, and you are listening to episode 40. I just want to acknowledge that I know we are all living in a world of uncertainty, and I hope that you're able to find joy through that uncertainty and in the everyday, and that these episodes are bringing you light and hope. And today's guest will certainly bring you hope, and as someone who has faced a lot of uncertainty in his life. Today's guest brings a story of kindness of strangers, peace building, and the pursuit of dignity. Deo was born in rural Burundi. He fled Burundi during the catastrophic war that lasted more than a decade and took the lives of hundreds of thousands of people. He ended up in New York City, not knowing English or having a place to go. He found himself homeless in Central Park. Through the kindness of a stranger, Deo worked his way out of homelessness. He eventually enrolled at Columbia University, earning a bachelor's degree in biochemistry and philosophy. He then attended the Harvard School of Public Health and completed his medical studies at Dartmouth Medical School. Deo had a vision for change and believed in the power of peace building and community as part of the solution. He founded an organization called Village HealthWorks, which is providing quality, dignified healthcare, while also addressing the root causes of illness, poverty, violence, and neglect within his home community of Kigutu, Burundi. This work has set an example for countries and organizations across the globe. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Deo. Welcome, Deo, to the Illuminate podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much, Christina, for, for having me here. I am so happy to have you on the show. I have watched your story from afar for a long time in my public health career, and I've heard you speak on a number of occasions and just really wanted to bring you onto the show to hear your full story, hear more about it, share it with our listeners. So we're so happy to have you on the show today. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure. Now, Deo, pronounce your last name for me. <laughs> uh, it's very easy. Nizonkiza. Wow. Yep. Very easy. <laughs> Especially for somebody who speaks English. Um, <laughs> very easy for someone who has that name. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. So you're from Burundi. I was born and raised in Burundi. And... Um, came here when I was 22, and uh, it's been 26 years in the United States as of last Saturday. Ah, congratulations. I've been here more than I've been in Burundi. <laughs> wow. Oh, that's really interesting. Now, are your, do you have, are your parents or siblings still in Burundi? Uh, unfortunately, my parents passed away um, 
my my mother recently, uh, and uh, I have a sister who's in Burundi, and uh, the rest are scattered in different places uh, uh, outside of Burundi. Okay, so you still have some some family there when you go back. We do, yes, yes, I do, yes. Okay, so and and of course I have uh, my lovely one uh, one year son Charlie and my wife Catherine. Ah, wonderful! Is your wife from Burundi as well? No, from here. She's from here. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, she's from here and we are colleagues. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Okay, so you were born in Burundi and maybe you can describe Burundi as the, you know, it's a landlocked country in East Africa. Uh, Describe where it is. How would you describe it? Yes. Um, It's a... how do you uh, do you describe Burundi? It is in East Africa. It's uh, many people know Rwanda more than they know about Burundi, unfortunately. But these two countries are twins by birth. Uh, Burundi and Rwanda uh, have uh, were one country until 1962, when uh, uh, the Belgians left. They divided the country into two. And we are in East Africa. West is uh, formerly Zaire, known today as the Democratic Republic of Congo. And then uh, uh, north, there is Rwanda. And then uh, uh, southeast, there is uh, Tanzania. So we are landlocked as a country of uh, uh, 11 million people almost today and uh, who speak one language, Kirundi, and as the, uh, the national language, and a lot of uh, people speak French as the official language, having been colonized by the Belgians. Uh, and then uh, there's Swahili that is spoken in, uh, in the region, but every Burundian speaks Kirundi. Okay, that's good. That's a good history lesson. So tell me about where in Burundi were you born and raised? And tell me a little bit about that community. I was born and raised in uh, rural Burundi, uh, southern Burundi, in a a community that is mostly communal farmers who um, didn't really have access to uh, anything like health care, or even a decent schools. Uh, I grew up uh, just as a rural boy, uh, doing what my parents asked me to do, um, and, uh, and then going to uh, a school, which uh, was about two hours away from, uh, from my home, and uh, we had to walk, travel, get up in the middle of, you know, uh, early in the morning, and rush to school, so that our teachers would not um, punish us for being late. Uh, it's just a really remote rural, rural Burundi where um, I had uh, my first uh, part of life, which uh, was a combination of uh, incredible love and also atrocious fear of uh, death uh, because of lack of access to health care. What are some of the health conditions and challenges that people within the community were facing or currently are facing? 
Well, really, too, I would say too many to, to count. That's a really good question, you know, that so many people keep asking me, and I, I perfectly understand because, uh, you know, for example, let me just like uh, tell you an example today. We are, the world is dealing with this COVID-19, one virus that has shut down the entire humanity. And when I talk to my friends and Burundi colleagues who were born and raised in Burundi, never left uh, Burundi or are familiar with the life in rural communities in Africa, uh, how is the pandemic over there? That's my question. And, uh, you know, I was not surprised to hear from uh, one uh, uh, person I was talking to ask me the question, which pandemic? Mm. And that means a lot, which is really very hard to to explain to anyone who is not familiar with the, you know, lives, uh, what it is to be sick um, from diseases that have been eradicated in the developed developed world, that have you know treatment about. Uh, uh, so many people, like in my community where Village Health Works serves, uh, have uh, uh, you know died from uh, totally preventable uh, deaths and um, through vaccinations and treatable diseases. Uh, and so, what kind of health issues? They range from a mother dying from child childbirth because that mother has no access to C-section. Mm. They die from uh, uh, malaria, which today kills about 450,000 uh, uh, people a year. And most of those people are in Africa, in, you know, maybe rural Africa. And, um, you know, mothers dying in childbirth, 300 today, 300,000 mothers dying in childbirth globally, and most of those are in sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, Diarrhea, malnutrition, and all that, you name it, intestinal parasites. So it's really still, unfortunately, today a place where there's an appalling shortage of healthcare providers, and so many people end up dying without any diagnosis. Uh, so that's what we see, diseases of human misery, and also diseases, uh, you know, we see in the United States, like, uh, 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 you know, cardiac problems, cardiovascular, you know, problems, like my mother just uh, uh, was operating, uh, had a heart surgery, um, at the end of uh, last uh, last year, and just died from cancer. Mm, so, so sorry. When, thank you, thank you. And when we we talk about uh, you know poor communities um, mm. and what is needed for them, what is needed for them when it comes to healthcare and every, frankly everything else is what uh, you and I, who are privileged to be where we are, need healthcare quality health care. Um, uh, I have a friend who asked me, well, I am an eye doctor. I wish I could really join Village Health Works, but I, it doesn't seem like in that poor area there is something for me. Well, poor people have eyes too. Yeah. You know, 
if you are dermatologist, poor people have schemes too, human schemes, and they need that kind of care. So it's really what we know we have been able to diagnose and what have not been able to be diagnosed. And this is why we are building this, uh, busy building this hospital, uh, a teaching hospital that will not only improve the quality of care and strengthen the healthcare systems in the places like Burundi, but also would be really the center for training health professionals so that they can deal with some of the diseases that have been completely ignored. Yeah. Okay, I want to get to that. It is, I mean, that's such an interesting point. What pandemic? Yes. And that just really makes you think and about what we have access to here and what so many people around the world face every day yes. and and for their whole lives, right? Exactly. That's, yeah. Exactly. So now you were living in Burundi, you went to school, and you started studying medicine there, right? I did. And then uh, the uh, you, you heard about it, you read about it, uh, I'm sure. Uh, the, the war started and I was uh, interrupted and... Um, my life changed from uh, uh, what uh, I I didn't expect it to. Um, was just minding my own business and studying in the to to running away and uh, you know uh, for life and uh, ended up uh, here in the United States. Okay, so let's go back to our history lesson. So this was what year was this? This was in 1993, October 1993. Which is the Burundi and, uh, Civil War, right? Exactly, exactly, yes. That's when uh, the president of Burundi was assassinated and um, uh, and the war started uh, and lasted uh, 13 years. 13 years. 13 years. 13 years. That is uh, a tragedy that the world has not really recognized when... Uh, um, in uh, next door in Rwanda, it was uh, awful. Uh, last hundred days in Burundi, thirteen years of uh, you know tragedies, human lives being lost, and uh, hardly anyone really paying attention. And this is uh, how hard it is to even talk about it. Hmm. Wow. So you you fled the country. How how did how were you able to do that? What did that look like? Well, you know, um, I was just running away. Uh, I was lucky to have a friend who helped me get out of the country. And uh, uh, he suggested that uh, I come to the United States because it was the only country he could think of uh, for my safety. Uh, and I came um, without uh, knowing anyone and with the $200 in my pocket and um uh, uh, no English, um, you know, carrying my uh, trauma and tragedies like luggage. Uh, uh, um, yeah, and uh, so where did you arrive in, in the United States? Where was your first stop? <laughs> ah, that journey. That journey, I flew with Air Flot, the Russian airline, and that uh, took me to to Cairo um, in Egypt, and then from there to Moscow, Moscow to Shannon Airport, where I thought I was already in New York City. 
and uh, and from there to JFK. And you got to JFK, and then what? You didn't know anybody. You didn't speak English. What happened? I I, I didn't. There was uh, some some someone at the airport who was translating from uh, working as a luggage handler, and it was I don't know how he was brought by the uh, security people and um, from Senegal, and he translated for me from uh, French into English. Um, I was asked where I was going to stay. I stayed in the hotel. I say I said I'm going to stay in a hotel, uh, and uh, didn't have the address of course or anything. Um, they knew really that the country was going through hell on earth, and this uh, guy uh, who was translating asked me if I could wait for him uh, and would host me, and he did. Really. Just out of the kindness of his heart. Exactly, exactly. The really one of these, uh, uh, you know, act of kindness. Uh, you know, uh, so a stranger helping another stranger. So before you met him, did you have a plan? Were you considered a refugee, or were you just going I, and seeing what you I, could figure out? I, that that was really, uh, you know, when you come out of this kind of tragedy, you really don't care where you are going mm. to even stay, as long as you you don't see blood around you, people killing each other. I, I, I don't remember what I was even thinking that I was just happy to get out. I remember just looking even uh, from my seat, you know, plane, just looking down. Uh, it was my, you know, it was a long journey, and you have all these turbulent, um, you know, areas in the wind. Oh, my goodness, I'm going to actually crash. Uh, <laughs> I remember just feeling... I I just don't care. Uh, yeah. So it, it really is, uh, uh, you know, when you've hit by tragedy of that magnitude, uh, you know, what matters is not where you're going to sleep or or what it just uh, it just being away from uh, from uh, the tragedy. Wow. Yeah. That's I can imagine. Yeah. So you get to New York. Tell me what happens next, because you were in the middle of your medical studies in Burundi. Yes, yes, I was. In this time, I was switching that uh, from uh, figuring out how to survive in this country, uh, and um, uh, and I arrived here, uh, staying with uh, with my new friend, and um, uh, just uh, you know trying to figure out you know, what's next, but it was not really, you know, more about, you know, what's next in my life was actually revisiting the trauma of war and uh, what happened and, uh, you know, thinking about where I was all the time lost in thoughts, painful thoughts and um, uh, quite uh, isolating and lonely. Uh, uh, just feeling like a stranger in the public space. And that was very, very difficult. Uh, and really the, the trauma started really hitting me. Uh, you know, this time my mind is uh, unquiet and uh, my body is quiet, which was uh, the opposite when uh, you are in the middle of back there, when you are in the middle of uh, 
war and the running um, all the time. Uh, yes, it, um, it it's always very difficult to, to even uh, you know find the right words really to describe that. But you know, I was extremely lucky to uh, to survive that and uh, you know homelessness in. Uh, uh, in Central Park in New York City and uh, making new friends who, again, uh, showed me an incredible kindness uh, to, you know, to a stranger again, to to a homeless, to someone who had nothing in common with, uh, with them but our humanity. And so when I was really kind of uh, regretting my own survival and... Um, Relieving the you know the tragedy and the trauma. At the same time, I was really challenged by uh, by strangers, uh, Nancy and Cherry Wolf and Sharon McKenna, who basically collected me back from ashes and uh, to becoming uh, again a, a normal human being. Uh, so I didn't lose uh, hope, um, uh, but then, uh, you know, my question was, uh, you know, what do you do? Once you are hit by tragedy, you can choose two things, really, to just be on your own, whatever that is, and, um, and, uh, and cope, and coping maybe, okay, I'm uh, going to be a drug dealer, going to be uh, to cope with alcoholism and things like that. And that is the suicidal behavior. Uh, or the, the second thing is to actually uh, have uh, the courage to reflect when you are lucky like me, since I was given uh, the luck and the privilege and the, 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 the space to reflect on uh, on the really root causes of our tragedies. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, I truly believe that uh, people were not created by God to hate each other, to kill each other. So much horror is done in the world in the name of God, in the name of uh, race, in the name of uh, ethnicity, you know, uh, uh, nations and uh, and so on and so forth, but uh, th that these kind of uh, ideological thinkings serve really the people who who can't see any other way, you know, of getting what they want uh, without misleading people, using people, you know, exploitation or creating dehumanizing social environments so that uh, they can be in this uh, horrible despair and then be the instruments of the ugly. Mm. Uh, and so it, it's, uh, uh, I got lost in all these thoughts because uh, uh, I was given this space and this opportunity and, um, and that that really gave me the opportunity to think about what the root causes of our misery were. And that is uh, precisely the reason why I have been trying with the, 
the help of friends and colleagues to deal with that instead of uh, the history, which uh, is not quite what it is uh, written. Mm-hmm. Wow. How long were you homeless in New York? I was, gosh, I was so lucky uh, until November. I was lucky because I never saw snow before or winter. So I have uh, really died in um, in Central Park. So that was, uh, uh, that was luck. Yeah. And who did, who was the person who helped you out? I think you mentioned her name. Yeah, this woman, Sharon McKenna, I met at uh, uh, St. Thomas More where, where I was, uh, uh, I happened to deliver groceries and um, and she asked me where I was from and I told her and she asked me questions and I avoided her, ran away and she followed me. <laughs> I, you know, back then I really didn't want anyone to even know where I was from because of the horror that was happening. Yeah. Um, you know, you have a some humiliation as if you were the perpetrator. Mm. Uh, you are in a place where you know seems like everyone else is uh, is a friend and it's peaceful, and, uh, and then where you are from, a country that gave you birth, um, is going through absolute hell on earth. So she followed me, and I. I avoided her, and then later on, I was very sick, and I approached her, and we talked, and um, and uh, uh, talked to a number of friends, and uh, uh, the rest is the history. Wow. Yeah. And she was a total stranger again. A, a total stranger who spoke French, and that actually helped a lot, because when she... Uh, you know, she talked to me and was struggling. Uh, she, you know, she, I was learning English on my own and she heard my accent and then she started speaking French. Wow. Uh, uh, yeah, it was really the beginning because, uh, you know, when I got sick, I was just uh, miserable and really regretting my own survival. And she took me to her doctor uh, who basically uh, believed that I was dying from HIV/AIDS, and uh, um, you know did exams and all that, but uh, it was just that harsh, you know, living condition that I had been through, you know, living in for quite uh, uh, quite 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 a long time. Uh, and you know she, you know she's uh, she's still around and she didn't give up on me. Uh, although even uh, you know talking to her, there was this kind of loss of my own uh, self-esteem and respect and decency. Uh, you know, here I grew up uh, really feeling that you know I was in charge of my own life and destiny, and I was going to help others instead of being helped. And, uh, you know, quite suddenly uh, realized that, uh, you know, um, the world is upside down and um, uh, not much was actually in our hands uh, uh, when um, uh, when tragedies like uh, the one that hit Burundi, hit Rwanda, hit, you know, a number of places did. Yeah. Uh, but it was... It was um, 
that's incredible. So how did you continue your studies, your medical studies in the yes. U.S.? What happened? What happened next? Yeah. So, so I did. Uh, uh, I did. Uh, I had to start from the beginning. From the beginning, because uh, you know, when you are in Burundi, or in, I think that's true in many uh, African countries, I guess Europe as well, uh, to have a college degree. So I went to uh, studied English and then um, went to college. Uh, forget about the medicine and all that first. Um, I was told and uh, went to Columbia University where I studied biochemistry and studied philosophy, spent quite a lot of time in philosophy, learning how, uh, I mean, really thinking, thinking about uh, life and uh, and a lot of stuff. And then uh, ended up to, uh, after grad school, after college in Boston, uh, where I uh, went to Harvard School of Public Health and working at Partners in Health, where I met Dr. Paul Farmer, who really became immediately really like a, a brother and um, family member. Uh, we worked um, for a number of years together, and um, after that went to medical school at Dartmouth, and Dartmouth Medical School. Uh, two years after I um, uh, came to, to I went to Rwanda with the Partners in Health. Um, uh, Partners in Health was starting. Which we should just share. Maybe maybe we should stop and tell people who it might not be public health people who Paul Farmer is, of course. He's famous to us. And then, and then maybe just share a little bit about Partners in Health as well. Yes, yes, he's a very well-known uh, uh, global health uh, uh, fighter, infectious disease doctor, who is a university professor at Harvard uh, Medical School, and uh, he's done uh, incredible work with uh, um, in many countries, over ten countries today. Uh, started really fighting along with his. Uh, Colleagues uh, Jim Kim and uh, Ophelia Doll and others uh, in Haiti uh, fighting for impoverished and marginalized uh, communities that were dying from HIV/AIDS and tuberculosis and um, and, and, and problems. So he's been really such a, a, an inspiration to you know for so many people. Yes, and um, uh, so yes, Partners in Health yes uh, has been extraordinary uh, in so many different ways, uh, saving lives and um, training the future leaders in medicine and public health and uh, social justice. Uh, and I was so happy to to uh, see actually PIH uh, uh, in Rwanda. Uh, because it's closer to Burundi, and uh, Burundi could uh, benefit from uh, its presence over there. Uh, I actually wanted, uh, really wish that they could go to Burundi, but Burundi was one of these, uh, you know, tough, uh, you know, environments uh, that were avoided by quite a lot of people. But you know, PIH would not, you know, is good at going exactly to those places. But, uh, you know, there were many other limitations. Uh, it requires resources, financial resources, and, uh, and um, you know, invitations from governments and others, local governments and, and all that. Uh, in any event, um, long story short, 
helped um, when I was the medical school, started Village Health Works, and uh, started Village Health Works really because uh, uh, after being in Rwanda and visiting Burundi to see my mother who was very sick, I saw I knew Burundi had suffered, but I had no idea of the 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 amount of sufferings of people in hospitals where they were going to watch themselves die, not to get healed. Mm-hmm. Um, in, a, in, a, in a country that was uh, starting to be called, this in 2005, starting to be called a post-conflict country. It, it was really not, you know, you, you know, I saw a lot of patients who, many of them were women, who were just, uh, you know, watching their own die from... Uh, infections after c-section that are so preventable so preventable with Mm -hmm. their babies next to them uh not because people you know nurses or doctors didn't know the how because they have not even gloves Mm -hmm. that is how this is not about poverty it's extreme poverty Mm There, you know, there is this whole thing called user fee policy. Everyone has to pay, but everyone in these conditions in a country like Burundi that went through, you know, 13 years of war, where healthcare systems have been destroyed, schools have been destroyed, lives and livelihood destroyed. Uh, where do you get money from? Yeah, and I met quite a number of patients who didn't even know where they were because they were brought by some good Samaritans in the hospitals, and they had no money, and they kept there, you know, what for? Uh, so you have this situation where you know hospitals are struggling; they need money to buy medicine, they need uh, tools, they need. Uh, they need a space that is uh, has a dignity, but there was a none. Uh, and as a result, those very um, poor patients who were suffering in hospitals and the healthcare providers were demoralized by uh, the conditions they were working in, not because you know because they didn't have anything really available to them to uh, to help. So I couldn't really uh, say to myself. You know, forget about it. Let me go back to the United States and um, and uh, and deal with my own life. It was so heartbreaking to see the conditions in which patients and healthcare providers were. I couldn't function anymore as a human being. I asked myself, in this situation, how can looking into these patients' faces? How can anyone find happiness again? What what does it really mean for anyone who is able to walk, who knows that we have this human skin, this human body, how can anyone actually walk away and do nothing about it, whatever that is? So it really became an issue of uh, moral obligation And I ended up there to see it with my own eyes and to smell it, to feel it. It's not something that I could really uh, shake off my mind and pretend that uh, it was okay. I could go on and I was not going to just talk about it and that would be uh, the end of the story. So that's how Village Health Works started really prematurely, prematurely because uh, 
there, we, we had no money. And we were, you know, going into a country where people were so still traumatized, afraid of each other, former enemies who had been taught how different they were from one another when they were neighbors, uh, but uh, turned into uh, enemies. So I had no one else to talk to. I had no means. I was traveling on my student loans. I had to actually mobilize those former enemies to come together and put aside what had divided them and think about how to rebuild their communities and to bring decency where it had been lost. Wow. You know, you know, village health works uh, and with the belief that uh, it's wrong to let dehumanizing conditions and the conditions that so many people I saw were in have the last word in the human life. Uh, but then, you know, I started sharing this uh, journey and stories with uh, friends like Dr. Paul Farmer and others um, who, you know, many, most of them were really scared and many really said, you, you are crazy, you're out of your mind, you can't do this, just wait. But uh, yes, it was crazy, it was harsh, uh, it was scary, it was uh, not easy. Um, by all means, it was nothing um, compared to uh, these conditions, other human beings. I knew some of them I knew so well, well living in, mm. and who had done nothing wrong um, other than just accidental birth and being born in a place in them, you know, where they were. Mm-hmm. So I had, uh, I felt this is, uh, this is uh, if there is really no um, uh, sacred responsibility, this is not a sacred responsibility, what could that be? Uh, so I jumped in the ocean, uh, you know, dragging, you know, everyone I could talk to into this mess, and I'm glad I did. So tell me, what is Village Health Works? What are you doing? Yeah, Village Health Works is uh, a healthcare organization that uh, uh, has been uh, working to alleviate suffering uh, with the goal of uh, working closer with the community members and building a healthcare system based on dignity. We started from scratch, as I was sharing that with you, with community members we mobilize from enemies who donated a piece of land where Village Artworks is now built. And um, and not only did that, but also laid the foundation. Uh, so we are primary a healthcare organization, but also have linked other programs. Uh, the healthcare um, program education is one of them because we really truly believe that uh, uh, the synergy between education and the quality health care and the mean education based on critical thinking uh, are the foundation of uh, peace building and development. That was what we are doing, uh, we, 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 we Village Health Works is about, really allowing a space for communities, getting them involved uh, so that they can uh, they can be able to to participate and have a say uh, and have the potential to raise their children who will become our futures. But health and education 
have been uh, our focus. Um, and we're now evolving to becoming a teaching hospital so that we can train young minds, future leaders in uh, healthcare, and uh, you know, train the young minds again, uh, giving them the foundation of education based on critical thinking instead, instead of, uh, instead of uh, memorization. And uh, we really wanted to, we are in rural community, we are in a very remote uh, um, place in Burundi, and it's just one example of many rural communities across Africa where the vast majority of people are in the world. So many people are so neglected. Uh, and so if we can start where people need our help the most and show what is actually possible by working with them, we, we can really change uh, the stories and, um, and, and, and change uh, the world. Um, the way things have been going. So that's who we are, and we we really hope we, you know, we are heading to you know building healthcare system model uh, that can be replicated everywhere in rural communities across Africa, and we hope to be a model and an inspiration uh, for many and beyond. That's amazing. So, do you work with the Ministry of Health? to support the model within that community that, that you're working in? We do work with uh, the Ministry of Health. We work with uh, with the government. Uh, it's um, It's been a, such a, a wonderful uh, partnership in a way that, uh, y- you know, the government knows exactly how dire the situation in healthcare is in Burundi. Uh, how do we work with them? It's uh, very hard to expect uh, a country that is, uh, you know, one of the poorest of the poor, if not the poorest today, with uh, uh, numbers that, uh, you know, for malnutrition are uh, quite uh, troubling. Uh, so we really do not expect uh, much in terms of financial support because of that uh, poverty within the country, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, uh, we have been uh, privileged and, um, uh, to be working with, uh, with the Minister of Health and other government officials uh, who help to make our life, you know, work be much uh, easier. You know, we, you know, for example, we are tax exempt. We, we don't pay tax. We don't, uh, you know, visitors who are going to Burundi, Whenever uh, they want to go, it's not easy when you're applying for a visit. They are just showing up for free. Uh, so we, we, we are really happy and grateful for that kind of warm welcome and the support we get. You know, just really encouraging us to do the right thing has been uh, wonderful for us. That's great. So tell me a little bit more about the model that you have within the community. I know it's a holistic model but what services are you offering? I know you have your clinic there. What is what does that look like? Yes, so we, we started uh, with the health, and um, and then I actually remember meeting with uh, the former uh, prime minister, uh, vice president over there, and um, you know I was with the friends, and I asked, so what 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 is the priority here? Well. <laughs> Uh, everything is a priority in Burundi. 
So what happened with the Village Health Works, we started with the health. And then, you know, after we opened our first clinic, we started seeing patients. Mobbed by hundreds of patients coming from uh, all over the country, even outside of the country in Congo and in, in, in Tanzania. Oh, wow. We realized that uh, we have, for example, mothers who are bringing children who are severely malnourished, skeleton, that these mothers are carrying on their backs. Food is medicine. And these mothers are farmers. And we wondered, what can we actually do to help these children who are dying from malnutrition? Where we started uh, working with uh, uh, the getting with the UNICEF, getting Pampinat, going to Rwanda, going to different places, but then I really realized how can we actually sustain ourselves? How can we uh, hope to achieve our mission in these kind of conditions where we not only have to figure out how to get medicine for malaria, how to to treat diarrheal diseases and, you know, infections, HIV, TB, and all kind of stuff, non-chronic uh, chronic diseases, H- how, how do we hope to get this done? So we ended up integrating agriculture into our, our health program because, again, food is medicine. But it was not just any kind of agriculture. It was really focusing on healthy food, on, you know, healthy nutrition, and showing these mothers and parents who were bringing their uh, malnourished children what they actually need to grow because they have land and not even like how to grow it because they, that's all they do their entire lives. And so that was really, really agriculture and nutrition that came into our health uh, program, which remains a health program. But we need, you know, we are working very hard on focusing on, on health. And then realize that you know, we have this uh, school, a primary school, that had been there for years and for its life, not one kid had passed sixth grade, the national exam. And so you, you have a country, and that's just not that school. It's all over the country. And then you think about the extreme poverty, the misery, the, the diseases, the, all the problems. How actually do we expect any country, any society, to get somewhere that is a hopeful future without, you know, with this kind of education, with this, uh, you know, in a country where back then 50% of the population were children under the age of 17. Mm. A great opportunity to really change a country if you create education if you create opportunities for them to learn best ways of improving their lives and living conditions. And so we had really no other choice but also to include education, focusing on these uh, 300 school children who didn't have teachers, didn't have really proper classrooms, nothing. So that's how we integrate education in our curriculum, uh, our, our program, in the realizing that, you know, we can't just like stop uh, right here. And this is why we are building a Kiguto International Academy, which is a, a boarding school that is going to have uh, a beautiful curriculum and be a place, a space for, 
children who will be admitted from all over Burundi to actually learn uh, in, you know, really taking advantage of uh, what has been already accomplished within uh, our medical campus, using our laboratories, using everything that is available to learn problems that are have been really uh, serious in their communities and to find solutions and give them really the opportunity for the foundation so that they can become future leaders in healthcare, they can become great entrepreneurs, uh, and so on and so forth. So these are the, the really programs that we do have, but again, really making sure that we work hands in hands with the local community members, which have been outshining really hope um, the way they've been uh, opening up and uh, uh, sharing their thoughts uh, with us and us sharing our thoughts and really making decisions to um, move forward uh, in the right directions with them. So it's been uh, such a, a remarkable collaboration and uh, this is how we integrated all these uh, programs, music and arts, and children singing and dancing and it, it just uh, that kind of uh, uh, environment that we have today, which has been uh, such an inspiration, I must say, uh, to so many people who have been able to visit and to see what is possible in a country that uh, has been avoided by so many people uh, that is not known. And I think uh, uh, so many people beyond Burundi have so much to learn, actually, from uh, what Village Health Works has accomplished with so little resources, uh, so little money. And I am uh, I'm really proud of that. Uh, uh, and, and we are heading to the right direction. Wow, you really dream big. That's amazing. Thank you very much. We we, we really have we have to have our hope be above our fears. It has not been easy. Uh, you know, I talked to a number of people uh, who basically asked these questions that frankly surprised me, but I understand where they're coming from. Well, why are you building this hospital instead of clinic? Well, uh, well, if we treat some human beings like they are not human beings like us, that's when I start to worry. And uh, you know, thinking big, it's really, it's 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 absolutely important. It's just giving really the opportunity, you know, giving people the opportunity to, to actually see what is possible. And I truly believe that, uh, you know, the world is suffering from that kind of lack of imagination, you know, or thinking what is uh, is not good for me is good for someone else. Mm. So we have to eliminate that kind of uh, miserable, you know, thinking, treat each other in a way we want to, to be treated you know, make sure that, uh, you know, mothers who uh, are pregnant uh, should expect joy and have joy after they deliver instead of having atrocious fear during this whole pregnancy that they are going to die in childbirth. And so it's important that we build a surgical center where uh, they could deliver uh, if they need a C-section and uh, and uh, and then uh, be healthy uh, to raise uh, their babies uh, who would grow, 
and become the leaders not only of their communities, but also the leaders we, the world really needs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it's that kind of thinking and, you know, really going to communities that have been marginalized, neglected, uh, and to show how we actually miss the opportunity to do so much good and to heal the world. And to, you know, it's it, again, in my opinion, that's a, it's not just building healthcare system or education. It's a really a development issue. It's a peace building issue. It will only be successful when we treat others the way we want to be treated, with respect, with dignity, by going to where they live and really link arms and work together. Uh, and that's that's uh, it. Sounds like a big vision, but it frankly, it's so simple. It's just the way it should be, and it's been uh, such a joy and such uh, an inspiration, not for me only, but for everyone. Uh, uh, I know at Village Healthworks, my colleagues here in the United States, the Board of Directors, and uh, others in Burundi, it's just such a joy. Yes, difficult difficult conditions, but with the same mission in our mind, with the same vision, it's so much fun to do it. Yeah, and there's certainly a model there that many other communities and countries can learn from in how you are, you know, you're touching the health education, the future generations, the mothers. I mean, yes, that's, absolutely. yeah, absolutely. that's, I mean, yeah. that is exactly, that's, that brings the hope. Yes. It brings the hope. And it really, Christian, when, uh, Christian, when you think about it, you know, I, I don't know whether there has been a, a time in my lifetime like this one that really shows us how important investing in healthcare system is, you know, we 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 have we interact with a number of people. Uh, you know, when you are healthy, it's sometimes very difficult for some people to see how important it is to build healthcare system, and that is something that so many people who are privileged, like all of us, to have access to to quality healthcare system, take all these for granted. Uh, we think about national boundaries, we think about, you know, the poor, we think about all these, but, you know, look, we are confined here today because of one virus that has invaded humanity. We can't do anything, and as a result of that, the economy has collapsed. Well, again, going back to, you know, now, you know, I was listening, watching you know, Boris Johnson in the UK, the prime minister, I was really, really, you know, so happy to hear, you know, the words that came out of his mouth, you know, after he survived the coronavirus. But you really don't have to go through this horrible, you know, experience to understand the value of healthcare, you know, for all. And we talk about not hands-on things, quality healthcare. Mm-hmm for all. And that's justice, that respect is self-respect. And we should stop investing more in weapons, destruction, but invest in what could improve lives everywhere. Uh, And that should be our legacy. Instead of thinking, okay, you know, those people over there in those communities, poor communities don't matter, they are not my business. Or, you know, 
you know, the Mexicans or the, you know, you name it, the Africans. Well, if there's one thing we can learn from this virus is that these diseases have no national boundaries. Yeah. So how do we actually become so stupid that we can't even learn from viruses that are killing us, our host? How do we kill our host, the planet we depend on? We just really, we're not quick at learning from uh, from what uh, really gets in the way of lives and livelihood. Anyways, I, I really, I just, uh, I just really hope that uh, you know this uh, tragedy is not just going to be remembered as a tragedy that hit us so hard, hit humanity, but also as a wake-up call. You know, something that we can use to reflect on who we are. Uh, as a human being, as people who needed to uh, be kind to each other more, to feel the pain of the others, to have the empathy, to have the humility and the compassion, you know, to do good in this very brief journey we have on this planet. So healthcare is a, is, is a human rights issue. It's, a, it's, not, it's not something that we should be talking about as uh, something that is needed or not needed. It's who we are, and we should be investing more in that. And uh, and that's the, the best uh, way, in my humble opinion, of really creating, you know, healthy communities and uh, and a friendship and in um, uh, a space that we all love and respect and, um, and so on and so forth. And that, of course, goes with education, you know, uh, you and I know that we talk about a good school or not a good school. You know, in the places like Burundi or many African countries, we have uh, uh, an education that was uh, left for those children, poor children, for by the colonial, you know, uh, masters. And that education was really, uh, in some ways, poison and not really an education that was created to help you know, the future, you know, leaders, uh, young minds to actually be able to think. And so we needed to rethink about this. How do we improve education, which is about knowledge and learning, not only math or, you know, uh, science or whatever, but really about who we are as, uh, you know, human society and what it means to be a human being and what it means to protect our environment to protect ourselves, to look after each other, and to, 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 to flourish. Yeah, you know, I hope you're right about this being a wake-up call and this bringing out the good yes. in the world. I really hope that that's what comes out of this. Yes, I, I, I hope so. And, and it's, it, it's so awful to see how we've been... Uh, you know, demoralized by this and yet, uh, you know, by something that, you know, could be contained and uh, dealt with. But again, because of the greed of some, ignorance of others, uh, we end up in this situation. Uh, but I just really hope that we can, uh, the world can learn, you know, from these sometimes out of the ugly, good thing can come up, can, can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, hopefully we will be better human beings and um, uh, who, who can understand better how, uh, how, what life, human life is and 
were our, our sacred obligation, responsibility to take care of each other and uh, look after other people who are less privileged than we are. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's three things that I've really taken from what you've said today. Dignity, right? We have to find that dignity and bring that to anybody we encounter. Peace building. Yeah. I just, there's so many ways that the peace building can integrate into what we're doing in our everyday. And then just the kindness of strangers. And yes. how do we bring that? How do we learn from this horrible thing happening in the world now? And, yes. you know, I was also thinking, how do we also learn from the countries that have said, well, which pandemic? Exactly. Yes. Right. There's so much to learn from that as well. Dea, I learned so much from you today. I, I so appreciate your candor and what you've shared and the what you've built through Village Health Works and it's a really amazing enterprise and you know I do hope the more communities and countries learn from what you've built. I yeah, thank you so very much. I really it's really our hope, you know, in the trying to uh, you know to do take advantage of good times and uh, serve because that matters and to serve with kindness with the humility empathy and compassion and, and also you know take uh, you know uh, uh, learn from these uh, harsh difficult times uh, so that we can be better and uh, and better really believing that every human you know being has the potential to be great no matter what their background and the situation, if you're given the opportunity to have a space to learn and uh, and have a good health, uh, we really have more opportunities to do good and to change our world than uh, the horror that we 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 spend most of the, our time thinking about. Um, and we have the great potential to do good. Mm -hmm. All right, let me let me ask you my our end of podcast questions. This is the Illuminate podcast, so we're talking to people who illuminate, which you are clearly doing, but we love to hear who somebody in your life or that you know or that you know of who illuminates. Boy, gosh, so many, and that is really a troubling question. Uh, I can give you a whole list of people that uh, I think about uh, my mother who just passed away. And it's one of those uh, moments when you lose someone, then you remember how that actually that person was uh, so important that you can't even have the words. Uh, she she's uh, really my guiding light. Uh, I look back and see, you know, here for example, I remember we had a neighbor who was fighting with my father over a piece of land. My mother didn't say a word, and my father asked, what do you think about this? And my mother said, well, what do you think about it? And uh, my father said, well, you know, he's taking our land. I'd say, yes, I know. And uh, my father sued this man. And the, the lawsuit was ugly, but this man lost the family and was told to leave immediately. And my mother called my father and all of us and said, congratulations. You won the case, you got what you want, but now 
I want you to hear what I I believe and this is what we are going to do. It was not even like asking for advice or her sharing her opinion. It was basically an instruction. You are not going to let that family go because they are poor and they have no other place to go to and we still have a plenty of piece of land right here. And my father didn't say a word and that family is with us where it was. So that kind of understanding, you know, given the history, the journey we have in life, uh, the injustices and all that, but here remembering that even though injustice was done to me, let me think about this person as a human being where he or she's going. Mm -hmm. My mother chose that. In any event, again, many people, and then I look at my wonderful son, Charlie, um, uh, who was one year old, and I think about, uh, I think about what an inspiration, what what a teacher, what a mentor for, mm. for me. Yeah, absolutely. How he he's really changed my life in a way that yes, I've been doing all this work, and I. I, you know, believe in it with all my heart, but every child I see on the street, anywhere in Burundi, in the community, I see him. And that even, you know, makes me much stronger in the believing in what we are doing, that every child, every child deserves to have the love, the same love I give my son, Charlie. And so... He's really one year old and um, precisely uh, uh, one and two, 14 months. And yet uh, uh, it's amazing how he's my guiding, you know, light. in Kids uh, change your perspective. My, my perspective. Yeah. And just seeing the world through their eyes. There's something so beautiful and powerful to that. Exactly. And the future and the, um, you know, and everything just really keeps me going the hope against uh, fears we we have these days and the possibilities and all yeah that's awesome okay give me a book recommendation uh boy again many books but uh, i you know again king leopold's ghost is a book by adam hochschild okay who talks about uh, colonial times, and it's really an example in the Congo, and, um, you know, many people who uh, don't know where Burundi is, or when you hear about Congo, that was Burundi and Congo and in Rwanda as well, all together. So it really talks about, it's a story of greed, terror, and uh, heroism in colonial Africa. Mm. Highly recommended because uh, every time I remember that, and I see how, uh, you know, some really, you know, bad things uh, keep uh, happening the way they were happening decades ago. And uh, what can we do about to change it? Somehow can, you know, maybe someone, you know, person who's uh, in power, who has no empathy, no, no compassion whatsoever, and we get surprised by by that as if this is a new situation when actually it's 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 it, it, it happened before but you know i love this book because it tells 
the it's a roadmap of uh, what human beings can do when in a, in a horrifying way, but also what human beings can do to repair the world mm. in a wonderful, in a wonderful way. So that that's a book I I, I recommend. Um, of course, I don't want to recommend my you know strengthen what remains so that you you know about it and it's been read about it. So this book has so it goes with the times we we have today. Mm-hmm. We are living through and uh, and the lesson and what we can do uh, as one humanity under the sky. That's great. Okay, and then my last question for you is: What is your message for the world? My message for the world is simple and is based on uh, my unshakable belief that we can make the world a truly healthy, just, and peaceful world only if our thinking and actions are guided not by our greed and fear, but by our empathy, compassion, and hope. Thank you, Deo, for that message of hope and of dignity and peace building and for sharing your remarkable journey with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. This is how people can find our podcast. You can check out Village HealthWorks at www.villagehealthworks.org. Thanks so much for listening and have a wonderful week.